So Habakkuk chapter 3, if you would turn there in your Bible, see it? It thins out really quick when we have the junior hires go to their class. We have a lot of junior hires. Habakkuk chapter 3. And Lord, we thank you for the time that we've spent. This is now our fourth week in this prophecy. And we thank you, Father, for the things that we've gleaned thus far. We pray, Father, that today we might as well glean from your word, that we might be able to see really what faith looks like. We ask, Father, that you would build our faith. We pray, Father, that we would be a people who take seriously our walk with you, that we take seriously your word, that we take seriously prayer and fellowship, the breaking of bread, all the things that were important to the early church, Lord, we pray that those things would be important to us as well. So would you please teach us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Chapter 3, verse 1, a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet on the Shigenoth. That is a rambling poem, apparently. And this is what he says, O Lord, I have heard your speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive your work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. I hope that you guys read ahead because we're not going to look at all of chapter 3 for time's sake, but I've encouraged you to read ahead. You know where we're going. Isn't that the benefit of doing a verse-by-verse, you know, chapter-by-chapter study through books of the Bible rather than jumping around and gleaning a little here and a little there, taking things out of context? But if you've read chapter 3, you know that in chapter 3, Habakkuk had no more questions for the Lord, none at all. In fact, chapter 3 of Habakkuk is really a declaration of the majesty of God. It's almost as if as Habakkuk was thinking of the situation, thinking of what God revealed to him, thinking of uh, his concerns for not only himself, but surely for the people of Judah, he comes to the conclusion, God is great, and God will do whatever he wants to do. It's not up to man to direct God, but God is going to do what he wants to do, and we need to submit to what he's going to do. And so he makes this uh, proclamation and then a declaration once you get to the end of chapter 3, and we'll find our way there in a moment. But know what he says. He says, O Lord, revive your work in the midst of the years. What's he praying for? Well, he's praying for revival, Revival, revive, or revival. It speaks of bringing strength or improvement to something. That's what the word means. If you were to look it up in the Webster's Dictionary or some source like that. But the actual word, the word revive used in our text, it literally means to live or to bring to life again. And so Habakkuk, he says, in essence, Lord... I've wondered, I've asked you if you're going to do anything. There's violence in the land. Your people, 
your children, the children of Israel, they, they don't honor you. They don't respect one another. There's violence. They, they have turned to these other gods. They're worshiping other gods. And the byproduct of that, of course, has affected their everyday life. Are you going to do anything, Lord? And then you answered me and you said, yes, I'm going to do something. Habakkuk, I'm raising up the Chaldeans, the Babylonians. They're a ruthless people. And then, Lord, I question your decision in raising up the Chaldeans. I mean, they're a horrible people. They, they don't serve you. They don't worship you. They don't know you. They don't acknowledge you at all. And you're going to bring them against us as the rod of discipline against your own people. And once again, the Lord responded and answered Habakkuk. And so his response after hearing this is back and forth with the Lord, back and forth, back and forth. He says, oh, Lord, I I heard your speech and was afraid. And no doubt you would be afraid. You know, guys, we know because the Lord has told us in his word what's coming upon the earth. Now, if you don't study it, uh, you know, that's kind of on you. That's on us if we don't study the scriptures. A lot of people, a lot of professed Christians say, oh, I don't concern myself with Bible prophecy. Who could understand such things? Well, do you understand the English language? Is your Bible in English? (laughs) Read the English language. Read the Bible. And you'll be able to comprehend it. Many times we don't want to comprehend it. It's negative. I was thinking of when Nate went to teach at another church and after he was done teaching he was rebuked by someone in the congregation for speaking about negative things he was talking about bible prophecy and he was reprimanded by someone in the church and i think told in essence that you need to keep it positive and of course that's kind of the mentality of most churches keep it positive You know, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. (laughs) But of course, we're not just simply sharing our opinion when we're, you know, looking at and considering Bible prophecy and what God says. This is what God says is going to come. But we don't have the details. I mean, if the Lord was to say to us specifically, now, I want you to understand what I'm going to do to Oak Harbor, Washington. I want you to see, I want you to understand what's coming to Oak Harbor. Then it makes it personal. And you're going, oh, Lord, what? You're going to do that and this? And, and then it becomes very frightening. And we can identify with what Habakkuk was feeling. He was afraid. He was afraid. But he didn't stay in that place of fear for very long. He prayed. He pled with the Lord. What was his plea? Bring revival, Lord. Revive your work, Lord. He didn't say, Lord, revive our work. He didn't say, Lord, revive my work. He said, Lord, revive your work. Now, what might he have been referring to? Well, I don't know for sure. I've already suggested in our study of Habakkuk that Habakkuk most likely lived during the time or maybe uh, after the time of King Josiah. And so King Josiah, this young king, he becomes king of Judah uh, when he's eight years old. When he's 16, you know, he starts seeking the Lord. He seeks the Lord at a young age. I think that's worth noting, especially with some of the things we're going to be looking at tonight. It's never too young to start seeking the Lord and walking with the Lord. By the time he's 21, the book of the law was found that had been lost in the house of God. The book of the law, the law was read to Josiah the king, and he repented, and, and, 
and he realized, oh, the people need to hear this, and so they read it to the people. And the byproduct of the word of God being heard by the people of God was that the people repented and there was revival. That which was dead became alive again. Now, it didn't last very long, but it did. It, it was there. There was great reforms that took place and there was revival. There were people that came alive spiritually and they said, we're going to seek the Lord. We're not going to, we're going to put away these, these idols and, and all. We're putting these things away. We need revival. We need revival. Not just them. We need revival. And the reason we need revival is because uh, we're dying on the vine. There was a Barna, you know, Barna is a Christian research. They did a survey recently, and they showed that that only 50%, so only 50% of teenagers who say that they are Christians believe that Jesus was resurrected from the dead. Now, I want you to consider that, because, guys, the resurrection is the hinge from which Christianity swings. <laughs> yeah, that's not a really good term, but, but you know what I mean. No resurrection, no Christianity. No resurrection, no salvation. You say, what do you mean? The death of Jesus upon the cross was the payment of our sins. The Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. His resurrection is a guarantee that he is who he claimed to be. For he himself said, <laughs> we're going to Jerusalem, they're going to hand me over to the Gentiles, they're going to crucify me, and on the third day I'll rise again. So if he didn't get that right, why would we trust him for anything else? So of course the resurrection is crucial to the Christian faith. But only 50% of teenagers believe that Jesus was resurrected from the dead? That's shocking. Well, it went on. It said that only 44%, so less than half, believe that Jesus was God in human form when he was on the earth. So what is this doctrine? This is the doctrine of incarnation. And of course, the Bible teaches us, doesn't it? It teaches us this in the beginning, John 1, 1, in the word was, you know, and so we're, we're, and throughout the scriptures, we see that Jesus is the incarnation. You know, next week we will acknowledge uh, Christmas. I say it like that because I want to emphasize, you know, there's the traditional Christmas and then there's the biblical Christmas. The biblical Christmas, most likely, you know, even the title, I don't really like that much because it's Christ Mass, but it, it really did not happen in December. Uh, most likely it happened in the springtime. Most scholars will tell us this. But this is the time in which we celebrate it. We understand, those of you that have done the research, you know why we celebrate it at this time of year. And it's really kind of tied into a pagan practice more than a biblical practice. So we'll acknowledge that next week. But Christmas, the birth of Christ, was not his beginning you know, we know this to be true. He was there at the beginning. He is, he is the Elohim uh, in the beginning uh, of, of creation, you know, the Lord. Let us, the Elohim, God in the plural. We see the Trinity there, you know. 
he is God incarnate. So only 44% say, well, I'm not really sure about that. And you wonder, well, why? Why are the numbers so low? And they seem to be dropping. If you pay attention to things like this, um, you'll note that the numbers are dropping quite a bit, and it's really kind of startling. And, of course, the next survey tells us why the numbers are dropping. Only 9% open their Bibles more than once a week. Well, how can you really walk with God if you don't know God? How can you know God if you don't know his word? Because his word is the means by which he reveals himself. Now, we could protest and say, no, 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 his creation, he reveals himself. Oh, his creation reveals himself. But the details of his character and his nature are not found in, in the creation. It's found in the word of God. In fact, in the word of God, he declares to us through his prophets, through his word, through Jesus, the incarnation, uh, through the apostles, he declares, this is who I am, this is what I do, this is my nature, this is, you know. So if, if only 9% are opening their Bibles once a week, and I would assume that's probably on a Sunday morning, but that might not be accurate because a lot of churches don't even encourage people to bring their Bibles to church because they don't need their Bibles. You need a Bible, You should have a Bible. It should be on something more than your phone or iPad. Because when those go bye-bye, you want to be able to pick up a book and read it. But we need the Word of God. We need the Word of God because faith comes by hearing and that by the Word of God. So Habakkuk, he prays for revival. We need revival. We need revival because Jesus said at his first advent... Jesus said, nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? So he's telling us something about what the condition of the church or what the condition of the world, you know, what, you know, as far as faith is concerned on the earth, what it will be like before his second coming. And he says, will he really find faith on the earth? You know, guys, I think that we set the bar too low for our young people. We, uh, we are, as parents and grandparents, we say, well, you know, he's such a, oh, it's snowing a little bit. Um, we didn't want to hear that, did we? I didn't want to hear that. <laughs> but we say things like, oh, he's a good kid, you know. She's such a sweet gal. But are they born again? But are they followers of Christ? But do they know Jesus? I mean, really, that's the bottom line, guys. And you can say, oh, brother, that's ridiculous. No, it's only ridiculous if you are, are not saved, if you don't have the spirit of the living God within you, if you're not feeding upon the word of God. It's ridiculous because it makes no sense at all. But if you're full of the spirit, if you're reading the word of God, if you're aware of what's happening, guys, Think of what happened just last week in the United States alone. I'm not going to refer to it because it will take up too much time. But something pivotal, pivotal, (laughs) you know what I mean, took place last week. And it will have a negative effect upon people like me, pastors who teach the word of God, pastor teachers and Christians who believe in the word of God. It will have a negative effect upon us. And, uh, and you, you just wait and see. But we look at the things that are happening in our country and in our world and everything, and, and we know that things have radically changed in a very short period of time. Short period of time. 
And, you know, we are so far beyond being happy, you know, simply because our kids aren't using drugs or drinking. Do they know Jesus? Are they born again? Have they placed their faith in Christ? I mean, this is the reality, guys, because Jesus says he's coming back. Jesus says that there are things that are going to happen on the earth that he said are worse than anything that's ever happened on the earth since the creation. That's what Jesus said. So that should cause us to kind of perk our ears and say, oh, wait, wait a minute now. So that's going to be worse than Sodom and Gomorrah? Yep. Worse than the flood? Yep. (laughs) I mean, you could throw anything else you want in there. Worse than the Holocaust? Yes. Worse than? Yes. See, this should get our attention. And as we're watching the very things that the Bible speaks of, things that would happen, you know, digital currency and all of these things, the Bible speaks about these things. And we've studied these things for a long, long time. We didn't know how they were all going to pan out, but now we're beginning to see how they're all panning out. We're watching it happening right before us. And as parents and grandparents, we need to be careful that we don't set the bar so low for our children. They need to be revived. They need to be made alive. They need to be born again. You know, I think of, you know, I, I'm very concerned about our young people because there is an apathy among many of the young people of today. You know, I graduated from high school, went to college twice, dropped out twice, I could barely read by the time I graduated from high school. I had some real problems with that. But I had ambition. (laughs) I never thought I was just going to sit around for the rest of my life and play video games. We didn't have video games back then. We're really old. I'm really old, you know. But I had ambition. There were things I wanted to do. You know, for me, I wanted to be a general contractor. I wanted to build homes. And so when I was a young man, I got a job on a construction site. And when you start out on a construction site, you're a laborer, you know. So move that, pick this up, move that pile of dirt over here. And when you're done, you can just go ahead and move it back because I'll probably change my mind where I want that pile of dirt. And you're doing this and you're working and you're, 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 you're developing a good work ethic because that's important, isn't it, to survive in life, so... And then I'll tell you, when I was given the opportunity, you know, hey, Dan, grab your carpenter bags, you know, and you strap those bags on. It's like, finally, I get to put these things on, you know. You just want to drive a nail. I know that might sink for the younger guys, you know. We actually used to drive nails with hammers. Now it's so nice, which I have no complaint about that. I like nail guns. But the point is, is that There was ambition. There was moving. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I could become a Christian. Now I have this new ambition. The new ambition is I want to follow Jesus. Now it didn't change the fact that I was a carpenter. That was the means in which I made my living. But I want to make Christ known. I want to serve Christ. I want to know Christ. 
And so I started going in that direction. I didn't neglect this over here. I didn't say, well, I'm not going to work. I'm just going to serve Jesus and trust Jesus for a paycheck, you know, at the end of the week. No, 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 no. You do your due diligence. You do what you need to do. And I'm doing all these things. And in my life, for me personally, other doors started to open. And here, you know, I, I find myself as a pastor. I never thought I'd be a pastor. I never went to school to be a pastor. I never had any ambition to be a pastor. I just simply wanted to serve the Lord. But, you know, when I was 17, 18 years old, working on a construction site, I didn't know at the time that these were steps in the very direction where I am today. I didn't know that at the time. And and many times we fail to recognize that the struggles that we go through are the very things that the Lord will use in our life for the next struggles that we may face. I mean, nothing's lost on the Lord. Say, so what's your point, old man? This is my point. You're never too young to serve the Lord. Young people, you need to spend time in the word of God. Don't be that 9% that only opens their Bible one day a week. You should find pleasure in the word. Here's the thing. Listen to me, young people. Please listen to me because I'm speaking to you today because I'm concerned for you today. You might think you're okay because you come to church or because you go to youth groups, plural. That doesn't make you a Christian. Saying that you're a follower of Jesus doesn't make you a follower of Jesus. Following Jesus makes you a follower of Jesus. Do you understand what I'm saying? Surely you do. You guys are smarter than I am many times over. There, think of what you could do Young people, middle-aged people, old people, think of what you could do in the name of Christ if you gave yourself fully to him. I'm cynical, if you hadn't picked that up, uh, cynical about youth groups. You know, I was a youth pastor for six years, and, uh, and a carpenter. I mean, that's how I made my living, but I was a youth pastor at our church. And, and I'll tell you, I watched the pattern I watched the pattern. I watched the kids come through the youth group, and, you know, they seemed to have an interest in the Lord. And then some would begin to fall away once they got their driver's license. You know, they get their driver's license, so they need to get a job so they could pay for the car insurance and all of that. And so we stopped seeing some of them. But others would hang on. But I can't tell you how many of them were missing in action by the time they graduated from high school because they were not equipped, because they were not equipping themselves. I was always the talking head, like I am for many of you. I'm the talking head. Blah, 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 blah. It either sounds that way or it's the truth that you're hearing. And because you're reading the word of God and you're not just taking what I say, but you're reading the word of God and you say, man, I, that's confirmed in the word of God. That's in the word of God. I just read that yesterday. I just read that last week. I know that that to, to be true. But I'm concerned because, you know, the statistics don't look good. A number of years ago, um, oh, help me out. Uh, the um, Australian uh, the Creation Institute or Creation uh, you know what's his name Ken Ham, Ken Ham. yes Ken Ham. Ken Ham Ken Ham wrote a book already gone you ever read that I read that little book little paperback book and he's talking about kids 
by the time they're, you know, later years of high school and surely college, so many of them are so far gone. But you see, they've been indoctrinated by the things that they're hearing at school or by their peers and everything else. I would suggest that the morality of your young people, your children, is different than the morality of you. That your young children or your teenage children accept things that you do not accept simply because you're older and you know the word of God and you say, no, this is not right. That God spoke against this. But they, see, have friends that have embraced different lifestyles. And they, see, because if you're not... If your mind is not governed by the word of God, then your mind is going to be governed by your emotions. So emotions say, well, I like this person. And you know what? We should like people. We should love people. I said it this morning at our prayer meeting that I'm so thankful that when I was a a young, you know, 12 years old, hitchhiking, got picked up by some guys And they shared the gospel with me. I'm glad they just shared the gospel with me. 12 years old. That's when it began. Then 13, 14, 15. I mean, even once I got my car, when I didn't have gas, I'd just look at the dial and stick my thumb out and I'd go where I I need to go. I'd just hitchhike. And so often, people would pick me up. They would share the gospel. Some of them were really creepy people. Not, Not the people sharing the gospel, but some were not good people. And I'm glad I'm a big guy and I threatened them to get out of their car. But, but, uh, but many, many times they would share the gospel with me. And I'm so thankful for that. And I'll tell you how the gospel used to be shared back in the Jesus movement, back in the 70s when I was coming up. If you died today, would you go, do you think you would go to heaven or hell? See, they did something right off the bat. They acknowledged that there is a heaven and that there is a hell. This is something that modern-day Christians don't want to do because hell is offensive to people. So don't use the H word, you know, the H-double-E, hockey stick, you know what I mean. Don't use that word. But there's a hell. There's a real place. In fact, Jesus tells us more about hell than he does about heaven. I wish we knew more about heaven. We don't know much about heaven. We know that hell is a place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, where the worm never dies and the flame is never extinguished. Ugh. That sounds horrible. And it is horrible. And Jesus says, that's a real place. So when the gospel is being shared with me, I'm so glad that people were honest enough with me to say, in essence, you know, Dan, if you die today without faith in Christ, you're going to hell. Do you know what I'm going to tell you? And it's not because I'm a wonderful person. I think it's because I was raised in a different generation at a different time. But I wasn't offended. (laughs) A lot of people are offended by a lot of things. Easily offended today. How dare you? I feel threatened. Back off. You know, it's going to come. God. If only you were raised by my parents. (laughs) You'd have a backbone. Revival. It's a work of God. It's not an achievement of man. Revival. We need to pray for revival. That's our part. Lord, would you revive us? Lord, would you revive our nation? Lord, would you revive our church? We need to make it personal. Lord, would you revive me? Please, Lord. I'm dry. I, my, my heart is cold. 
Once there was this fervor and this joy and this love for you and for your word, and it's not there any longer. Revive me, Lord. Please revive me. Revive the work that you began in me, Lord. You said that you began this work. You're going to bring it to completion. I want to do my part. Revival. We need to pray for revival. We had five children. We have five children. We still have them, you know. But they're adults. And we have the 15 grandchildren and I prayed, my wife and I prayed fervently for the salvation of our children. Once I got over this illusion, this delusion, really, that somehow my kids, because they were growing up in a different family than I grew up in, a different environment than I grew up in, that they were going to just kind of naturally come to faith in Christ. Nobody just naturally comes to faith in Christ. Coming to faith in Christ is a decision that one has to make. And everyone has to make that decision, and they'll come to that decision or that conclusion at one point or another in their life, either a yes or a no. But we prayed for the salvation of our children. And now we have a longer list. Now we have 15 grandchildren, and we look at our little ones. We love them so much. And I'll be honest with you. I don't pray that fervently. Maybe Tracy does. We haven't really talked about it much, but I don't pray that fervently for the littles. Trace calls them the littles. We got a bunch of them. They're all about the same age, you know. They're like a gang, you know. (laughs) But I'll tell you, I pray for the olders, the older ones. The fact of the matter is, is that they're great guys. She's a wonderful gal. She's a beautiful girl. But are they born again? See, that's, that's really the issue. Jesus is coming back. And, and we need to be parents and grandparents that are praying for our children. And if we see things that aren't right... You know, guys, I think of when I was in high school, um, the Jesus people at my high school, they had a club on, on campus. It was called the Fish Club. I had no, I was so stupid. I had no idea what the Fish Club was. I thought they were like swimmers. I really did, because we used to call the swim team Fish. You know, like you'd always know who was on the swim team, because they all had like the gold hair. You know, the kind of the bleach from all the chlorine in the pool. But I started meeting Jesus people, and they would inv- and finally they invited me to their, their fish club. And, and, and one of the teachers, because you had to have a teacher that was there, you know. One of the teachers, I knew him because he used to be, he was in the old, uh, the old timers will remember. Remember the beach party, uh, those old shows? Uh, Frankie Avalon, and he was on those. <laughs> and so he was kind of a hero in our school, high school, you know. He always wore Hawaiian shirts, no doubt, you know. <laughs> and I remember the cheer the gospel. And it began to make sense to me. That's why. That's why that girl would have nothing to do with a guy like me. That's why that guy isn't going to the parties that I'm going to. That's why, you know what I mean? 
because there was this character about them. There was this different standard that they lived by. They were living in faith in Christ, by faith in Christ. Guys, Habakkuk, he hears from the Lord what the Lord's going to do. He's troubled about it. The Lord says, listen, Habakkuk, I'm going to do it. And uh, it's going to be hard, and it's going to be difficult. But this is what I want you to do, and this is what I want the faithful remnant to do. The just shall live by his faith. Okay. So that's our marching orders. Yes, the just shall live by faith. The just shall live by his faith. Verse 17. The conclusion for Habakkuk. Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor the fruit tree, or nor, nor fruit be on the vine, though the labor of the olive may fail, and the field yield no food, though the flock may be cut off from the fold, which sounds so bleak, doesn't it? And there be no herd in the stalls, verse 18, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Yet I will joy. And the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like the feet, like deer's feet. He will make me walk on the high hills. I love this. Guys, isn't this why Christians, isn't this why we go to Habakkuk for these very verses? This is why we go there. Most of us, we don't even want to read the other (laughs) verses. We just want to read these verses because we love these verses. Because these verses are a declaration of faith. But we have to consider the chapters, the verses that came before this declaration. So that we can appreciate how Habakkuk wrestled through this process. Guys. Challenging times are coming upon us. They're already here. I've said it. I know it's not a popular statement to make, but I believe it. I believe that the Lord's judgment is on the United States of America, to whom much has been given, much is expected. And much has been given. And this nation had a good beginning, and and we had values, but we've abandoned those values. And we've embraced things that we should not have embraced. We've not become the standard. And we're a joke. And we're a laughingstock in the countries of the world. They're no better than us. Don't get me wrong. I mean, they're in a mess as well. The whole world is in a mess. But the Lord told us that it would be like this in the last days. You know, as American Christians, we, we see ourselves as like, almost like everything kind of orbits around us, you know. But you guys realize that in the Bible... We know that in the last days, Iran will be here. Israel, of course, will be here. Do you know that the, uh, Turkey will be here? Do you know that Europe will be here? Do you know that Africa will be here? <laughs> Do you know that? I mean, we could we had mentioned a number of nations in the world that are presently here that will be here in the last days, but there's no mention of the United States of America, and that makes you want to scratch your head and say, "Wait a minute, the world power, not even mentioned in the Bible, not even referred to once in the Bible, not even alluded to. What's happening? What's happening?" And we didn't know the answer, but we're watching it happen right now. We are imploding. 
We're like the Roman Empire. What brought down the Roman Empire? They brought themselves down. Their own corruption, their own sin, their own lack of repentance or acknowledgement of God. And that's where we find ourselves today. And the fact of the matter is, is as Christians, young people, older people, we need to be people who are in the word of God, reading the word of God. If you're born again, listen, if you're born again, Jesus is your Lord. If you're born again, God is your Father. I wish that I had the opportunity to sit down with my mom and dad and talk to them. But they're gone. But I wish I did. It'd be fun to catch up and to talk to them and maybe not have, you know, the heated conversations that we used to have and maybe, you know, talk about things from a different perspective and everything. I wish we could do that. But I'm no orphan. I have a heavenly father who loves me. In fact, he is love. Isn't that what the Bible says? God is love. We try to flip that on its tail and say, love is God. You, you could just love, love, just love. Love who you want to love. That's God. That's, what God. that's not what the Bible says at all. The Bible's saying, you want to know the character? You want to know the nature of God? Here, I'll give it to you in one word. Love. Oh. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him, who? His son, Jesus, shall not perish but have everlasting life. That's the gospel, by the way, in miniature. The gospel in one verse is found in John 3.16. Most people know John 3.16. But we also know scriptures like, for God, uh, for greater love has no one than this, than for one to lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. Now, if anybody but Jesus was to say that, we would say, no thanks, I don't want to be your friend. But when you consider who made that statement. But you'll note that it's built around his love. I've gone to the cross, I'm laying down my life. I am the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What motivates you, Lord? Love. Love. But it's only the Christian who can really enjoy the fellowship and this love relationship. Because the non-believer, they're still loved by God, but they, they just haven't entered into a covenant a relationship with the, the Lord, and so they're not able to enjoy that, that union. Do you enjoy that fellowship you have with the Lord? What does it look like for you? Does it look like finding a, a quiet place in your house? Or, you know, we joked about it, but Tracy and I, when we were raising our kiddos, it was always so loud in the house, you know, all five of them jumping around and doing stuff. And, and we would take turns going out. Our quiet time was going out to our old beat-up Malibu station wagon. And we'd sit out there and just read our Bibles and pray, and that would be our quiet time. We'd take turns <laughs> doing that. But fellowship with the Father, does it look like that? Does it look like finding a comfortable place and sitting down or maybe going for a walk, going to the beach or whatever, pulling out your Bible? And a friend, he used to say that uh, he was a pastor, and he said that on Fridays, 
or Mondays, I think it was, was his day off. And on his day off, he would grab his fishing pole and his chair and a lunch, and he would go down to the river and he would fish. He said, I used to do that for years. He said, I still do that on my day off. I just leave the fishing pole at home. And his point was, he goes down to just fellowship with the Lord, to read the word, just the quietness of spending time with the Lord. Guys, this honestly, I hope that, I hope that this is something you're identifying with because this is something that you're doing. You're spending time, you're reading the word, you're, you're talking to the Lord. I, I think it's healthy to do that. He's our father after all. Habakkuk, I, I, I love the conclusion that he comes to. And he, he says, okay, this is what's coming, and, and I, I know it's going to be bad. Note the words, not, nor, or no, in verse 17. And then you've got the words, fail and cut off. Well, this doesn't sound very good. But I want you to frame those words with these words. But the just shall live by his faith. But the just shall live by his faith. Note the words in verses 18 and 19. I will, I will, Habakkuk said. And the reason he could say, I will, I will, is because in verse 19, it says, he will, he will. Do you see that? But the just shall live by faith. What does it look like to live by faith? To trust the Lord even in the leanness, even in the lack. Folks, I'm going to end with this. The days are getting darker just as Jesus said they would prior to his coming. If we're not maturing in our faith, we will shake our fist up to heaven and say, God, why are you doing this to me? If you're so great and so mighty, why are you allowing me to go through this? But if your faith is developing and you're a person of the word of God, you realize there, are, there have been many others before me that scratched their head, that wring their hands in worry and wondering, God, you're going to do this. You're going to, why are you going to bring this? Why are you going to, and yet they chose, because it's a choice, they chose to believe in the Lord. It's not positive thinking, guys. It's not positive thinking. Faith is not positive thinking. Faith is not ignoring the fact that there's no grapes on the vine. Faith is not ignoring the empty stall. Faith is knowing the character and the love of God and trusting him. Faith is, is built by walking with the Lord. There's no other way. There's not, there's not a class you could take. There's not a school you could go to. It's by simply choosing to walk with the Lord. Faith, of course, as we I say quite often, comes from hearing and not by the word of God. Leanness is coming, but we can prepare ourselves now for what's coming. Trust the Lord. 
Know his character. Know his nature. Appreciate who he is. You guys can come on up. If you haven't placed your faith in him, place your faith in him. He makes my feet like deer's feet. If there's one thing we have a lot of here on Whidbey Island, is deer. When Tracy and I moved from Santa Barbara to uh, Grass Valley, so that's in the foothills of the Sierras, we used to ooh and awe when we would see a bald eagle. Oh, look at, oh, wow, oh, that's, oh, woo. And when you'd see a deer, you'd go, oh, wow, look at that deer. Oh, isn't that beautiful? Oh, it's wonderful, wonderful. It's kind of like when we first moved up here and uh, Tracy's parents had built a, a little place out on San Juan Island on Cattle Point and we would go out there and we would stay with them and, and we would go out on the ferry and we would just be looking out the window and we would be ooing and aahing and saying, this, we live in the most beautiful place. Look at this place. And then we would kind of judgmentally look at people with newspapers up, reading or books, and say, what's wrong with these people? Now we're kind of tempted to read a good book on a long ferry ride. And as far as deer, we have about 10 of them that live in our front yard, like every morning. And the point is, is that you can kind of get used to things, and they don't have that same, you know, impact. I've never seen a depressed deer. And this, of course, is speaking of not the kind of deer that we have, but the hinds, you know, you, the, the hinds, uh, hinds on hind. what is that book that we were talking about yesterday? Hinds feed on high places. It's an allegory. Yeah. Tracy was telling me about it. And, but you think of the deer on the rocky side of a sure-footed, stable, not worrying. Would you stand with me, please? Lord, we pray that you'd build our faith, and we pray that we would do our part, Lord. I pray, Father, for every young person, and every man, and every woman, and whoever might be listening downstairs or, or watching on the live stream, Lord, we just pray, Father, that you would give each one of us a desire for you, truly for you, Lord, not for religion, not for church, not for anything else, but for you. We pray, Father, that you would give us a supernatural desire for your word. And as we read your word, Lord, we pray that you would speak to us through it, because we know just from practice that when that happens, we could hardly wait to get back into your word the next opportunity we have. Lord, it's those times when it seems as if you're silent. And I pray, Father, that if any are going through a season where they feel that you are silent, that rather than shaking their fist at you or, or giving up on you and saying, well, I've tried and God's just not interested in me, that, Lord, rather we would take the approach that Habakkuk took. We saw it early on 
in this prophecy where he says, I'm going to stand my watch. And he would wait for his correction. And Habakkuk had the right heart. He figured, you know, it's not God that's wrong, it's me that's wrong, and Lord, I'm, I'm open to correction, so correct me, Lord. So help us this week to walk by faith. Give us opportunity this week to share the gospel with somebody. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.